Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Just like that, the second hour is here for Hot Mike across the Outkick Network with Hutton Withrow. We're live at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. If you're watching on YouTube, we will hope you subscribe to the channel while you're there. You can join us in the chat. Plus, you can check out all the other shows that are on the Outkick Network. And if you're listening on this great radio station, we say hello and thank you for that as well. Chad, the SEC dominant yet again in the NFL draft. That's no surprise. Um, by conference, they lead with all players drafted at 62 players. Uh, second is the Big Ten at 55. And third, a big drop-off, ACC at 32, followed by the Big 12 and the Pac-12. So you see the Power Five well-represented. Uh, 12 players represented from FCS or Division Two. Conference USA, this is a surprise to me, only put in three players drafted That's this, crazy. this past year. Sunbelt had nine. Uh, the American Conference, 10. Is, uh, the NFL draft way in the favor of the Power Five, where I think in past years, while it's still lopsided, I don't know if it has been this lopsided to me, where you have a handful of players taken away from what would be the total number from the ACC or the Big 12 or the Pac-12, and you have other players in an influx from either the MAC, Mountain West Conference USA, or Sunbelt. Well, let's keep that graphic up because what this graphic shows us with these numbers is something I've been saying for a while. It's no longer a Power 5. It's a Power 2. And the NFL draft is starting to bear that out as well. SEC Big Ten, far greater in terms of numbers than... And there's a 27... Sorry, 23 draft pick difference between the Big Ten to the ACC. That's from two to three. And then look at the similarities. 32 to the ACC, 30 to the Big 12, 27 to the Pac-12. They're about the same. Yeah, the Pac-12 may not be the same for long, but they're about the same right now in terms of producing NFL talent. So it's SEC, Big 10, then a drop-off, and then everyone else and right now. Isn't this also indicative of the transfer portal? I can't all it's hard not to assume that. I think you brought up a great point with the FCS Division II numbers being so low. That to me is a clear indication of the transfer portal. Up. After sophomore year, moving up. you're in. Right. right? You move it's up. almost a double A to triple A to major league yeah. advancement. Leaving FCS is a really good player to spend one year as a graduate player or a couple years at the yep. FBS level yep. and the Power Five level. That but, is your double A to triple A to eventually getting drafted into the yes. majors to the NFL transition that we're seeing but with, don't, the, with the portal. But we've certainly seen, you know, uh, players from the the group of five, the 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 non power five schools that move over and and join a program for a year, you know, in the power five somewhere. No doubt. Now, when will it, the reverse start to be true? And this may happen next year, or the year after, where. There's so many talented players at some of the bigger programs that you, yeah, that some of these guys, for whatever reason, they drop down a level to FCS, and you get four or five more guys drafted yeah. that would have been drafted from another program, but 
either because they got in trouble or because they weren't starting at that program. They went down a notch, and they get drafted based on their season they had in FCS. Maybe it'll start to balance out a little bit. My guess is, though, probably not going to happen. You're going to see more of what we talked about with an, an elevation of AA, AAA majors, but in this case, it'll be FCS, FBS, NFL. And it is Alabama and Georgia leading the way among all programs. Just ask the Eagles. Each had 10 players selected that led all individual programs in the draft, followed by Michigan with nine. TCU had eight players drafted. Ohio State, Penn State, Florida, LSU, Clemson, Pittsburgh, and Oregon all had six players. Those are the colleges with the most players. I know. Getting to the national championship game, but also that amount of guys drafted, that's, that's impressive. Pitt as well. They put Pickett. And they had uh, the receiver leave yep. for USC. And they Elijah still, uh, Cancy was a great defensive tackle for them. Uh, they they had some good guys. Uh, Abaconda, the yeah. um, the the running back. I I saw him drafted. But then to think, you know, Jordan Addison, Addison, thank would you. have been at Pitt, yeah. but gets drafted out of USC. So um, that's a good developmental program. Georgia, Georgia has had twenty five players selected over the two year span. They have 34 players selected going back to 2021. And to put them where they are now, you know, last year the big discussion was, okay, what's the defense going to look like now? They're practically their entire defense went to the league. And it was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty good. And then they stayed good. A lot of their defense is staying as well. I mean, it, it's a hell of a run. It's the most draft picks for a single school over a two-year span in this common draft era. Uh, but and, and no, no mistaking the fact that they're the back-to-back national champion. No doubt. Also, with all those guys, I, I do want to pick up though on on Georgia for a bit here, Chad, because in thinking about the the players drafted, great players, but they did slide a bit. Teams did pass on some of their top talent based on and and, and we went we said this yesterday. A lot of the draft grades are based on predictions and analytical uh, value going into the draft. That's how we're grading things. But if you look at Dane Brugler's top 100 or top 300 for that matter, and you compare where Jalen Carter was to where he was drafted, he was the third best player in the draft who is drafted ninth. Now, quarterbacks are always going to be overdrafted. That pushes players down the board a bit. But Nolan Smith, for instance, he's 10th. He's the 10th best player available and he's selected late in the first round by the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, there are other examples of this as well. Chad, you mentioned the corner, who you couldn't believe lasted to, what, the fourth or fifth round? Yeah, Keely Ringo was a yeah. fourth rounder. I was shocked when he was there for the Eagles to take in the fourth so round. So the, 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 I'm not saying the Georgia Bulldogs, the, the players from their program are not valued, but there is, like, it, despite the number of players drafted, we did, I mean, it's mainly Philadelphia. That's the inside joke, and they don't, They've clearly got the inside track on the backgrounds of some of these guys. But I, I do wonder, for, and it's hard not to think about Isaiah Wilson and others who have come out of that program that have been complete bombs and, and had like the, the worst off-the-field mentality you could have going into the yeah. league. And it's hard for me not to think, like I wonder if there are a few teams or a few GMs that have been burned in the past that just refuse to buy in at a high level on some of these guys. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that a six-pick slide is any indication that Jalen Carter is going to be a bust in the NFL. In fact, I've, I've told you guys, like I, I, think he's, I think he's the best player in the draft. I would have drafted him. 
but it's clear that other teams who are clamoring for defensive line and pass rush help are passing up on some of the Georgia players in favor of others. Maybe it's just that type of the, uh, the way the draft board fell, but I can't help but think of some really talented defensive backs, Chad, from Georgia that went two rounds later than expected and not have to ask the question, why was this the case, given their success and given the numbers that we've seen from this program go into the league? Well, you know, you had you had people die in the racing incident. Right. You've got a lawsuit going on against the program and the athletic department now. Mm-hmm. Based off of that, um, you've got some pretty dumb, one really dumb video being posted by one of the players with some pretty insensitive remarks on the video that was broadcast to everyone at Georgia. Stetson Bennett knocking on doors down in Stetson Dallas. Stetson Bennett, not a good look. I mean, look, I'm, I'm not here to say because I'm not inside the walls of their facility. So whether or not it's a, it's a culture problem, but I, I'm willing to bet that someone in the league and, thinks there is a bit of a culture issue going on there. And they could also have a bad rep for coaches lying to NFL scouts. Possibly. About players, and that can penalize you also but, if they feel like you're just flat out not telling the truth. And not every player is created equal here. Um, Darnell Washington apparently had some medical uh, feedback that w- was not great. Um, at least that's, that's what I, you can read. But Washington was 30th on Brugler's board. He went 93rd overall in the draft. That's a significant drop. And that's either medical or otherwise. My presumption is, based on the reports, the medical it's flag. medical, yeah. Uh, but Keely Ringo, 36th on Brugler's board. He went 105 in this draft. And again, uh, Nolan Smith was 11th, drafted 30th. The only player that was actually drafted ahead of where Brugler had them was Broderick Jones. It was 15th, and he was drafted 14th. He had Stetson Bennett in the fourth round? No, I'm, I'm just picking out these, oh, okay. these particular uh, five guys. Stetson Bennett was the one that went a lot earlier than oh, I, way, I expected. Oh, way earlier than I expected. Um, same. Um, yeah, and, and we, how much did we talk about Stetson Bennett since the Senior Bowl? None. Because he chose not to accept that. He went and, you know, he was booked and charged for, uh, or he was cited, I should say. He was cited for public intoxication, for knocking on doors in a Dallas suburb. And that's really the last we heard of him. It, it shocked me because, you know, we even had Taylor Bashotti on last week, who's a Georgia grad, and asked about Stetson Bennett. And she kind of gave us the answer of, probably going to be okay just, you know, not playing football professionally for a very long time based on his legendary status in Athens and, and what he could do. Um, and then I see him go in the fourth round of the Rams, and I'm thinking, well, Sean McVay, Definitely see something in this guy. So that was a that was a shock to me. Chad, another thing for me was Tennessee. They had five players selected in the first three rounds. That's tied for the second most in the draft for an individual program. Best draft class, by the way, in years for the Tennessee program. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm sure Tennessee people are around saying, "Boy, this is nice to be discussed." Well, again, with actual multiple players being drafted for the first time in a while. But I'm also surprised about where the value was for some of these guys. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a system issue when it comes to the NFL. And, and, and the only way to break that mold is for these guys to go and prove people wrong yeah. and play above a third-round player. And I'm talking about Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman specifically, but Hendon Hooker also. He's not going to have a shot immediately to play, but... If Hendon Hooker turns out to be a five to ten year starter for the Detroit Lions, he will have exceeded his third round pick, and that's only going to help Josh Heupel and Tennessee sell the fact that they're not only getting guys drafted, 
but getting successful NFL players into the league and helping develop them and prepare them. Because I think right now, people are looking at that and saying, well, it's a gimmick system. I I think that's a little short-sighted to say it's just a gimmick system and he's not asking a lot of his players. But that's the way the league is looking at it right now. Well, Darnell Wright's another example, though. In that system, he's still valued as one of the top tackles in this NFL draft, even though he's a right tackle. And he really shot up the boards at the at the chance to get in front of uh, front of teams this offseason. I think when you look at his uh, tape of him run blocking, that's what helped him more than anything else, where GMs, and specifically the Bears, could see that he is an absolute mauler on the outside in the run game and with what Chicago's going to be doing a lot with the Bears in Chicago yeah. is running the football. I think that really helped Darnell Wright. But you're right. That's the one offensive guy that was not affected by the offense and the system. And they need was to have Darnell Wright going 10th overall? You're right about Tillman and Hyatt having some success here uh, because when they do, then the rest of the crop that's coming in, they have a better chance of being selected higher because of the system did it for them yes. instead of the other way and around. And Josh Heupel preaching about all the receivers he's had drafted and it matches anyone else in terms of guys he's coached. In the la- it doesn't really matter until those guys are successful in the league. It's not about just getting drafted – It's about going on to have success. And you look through the history of Mike Leach, Art Bryles, and now Josh Heupel's receivers point to the guys who are having the big-time success that translate from college to NFL. There's not a lot of them. Josh Heupel and these Tennessee receivers need to change that. If they do, we're probably going to stop talking about this with Josh Heupel-produced guys moving forward. Chad, um, here in Nashville, everything has been – approved it is official the dome is going to be built uh, right next to their current stadium nissan stadium but everything's been approved the funds and and all of it they're going to break ground soon on what's supposed to be a state-of-the-art stadium uh a 2.2 billion dollar facility and a few years ago the state of nevada they hooked the raiders They agreed to a $750 million subsidy on the stadium that the Raiders currently play in. The Bills, we discussed this at length in Buffalo, um, Orchard Park. They're they're getting, from the state of New York, nearly $900 million in, in help with the cost of the stadium. In the NFL, it is socialized cost, privatized profit. And that's just how it goes. But the... The Titans are setting a new bar and a new standard uh, across the state of Tennessee. They are getting um, 800, let's see, 1.2 billion is what we're going to see in public money in some cases, uh, in, in any way, funded to help build this stadium for the Tennessee Titans. The Titans' contribution will be around 850 million. Some of that will be a part of an NFL loan. Others will be a part of uh, personal seat licenses and other things that they're going to do. But the NFL always wins in this. And the teams, the owners, the individual owners always win in the funds for these stadiums. There are a handful of owners who chose to privately finance their stadiums. And they are raking in everything. Speaking of Dallas, uh, others come to mind too. But in, in this case... Everybody ends up winning based on the taxes that will be coming into the Middle Tennessee area and the events. Because now, Chad, name an event that Nashville can't host other than the World Series or the NBA Finals. I mean, it's 
you can you can lure everything here now as opposed to the old stadium which they gave the land and then they built the stadium that Bud Adams brought from the Oilers in Houston all for a little over 250 million and now they're turning around and they're going to build a dome right next to it and in the meantime play around a bunch of construction yeah and um this also benefits Amy Adams Strunk oh uh, yeah terrifically sure. so there is a family here that's gonna like I said, they, gonna, the gonna owners always in. win. They, you either move or you get the stadium you want. Yeah, but other owners have put in more money, but other owners have more money. I would say Amy Adams Strunk and the, the Adams family may be the poorest or one of the poorest of the NFL owners. Uh, I say poorest, the least super wealthy the, of the NFL families. Yeah, but the, the, KS, the KSA industry is Cincinnati that they, Bengals that they own ownership is, is probably one of them. Well, the thing was, like if you, if you the family the, itself is not is not uh, among the poorest. But what they're doing, they have an ownership group divided amongst their family to where if you look at net worth, yeah. it's less if you compare it to the other individual, like uh, any, Brown in Cincinnati, you know, or any of uh, any of the individuals who own all of the team. Yeah, I, and I say poorest is the, uh, not the right word. The least super wealthy of NFL owners. They're all super wealthy. But they've yeah, got to be bottom, that same check, bottom half, right, yeah. of, in terms of wealth outside of the team that some of these owners possess. Point being, some ownership groups, I mean, we're seeing it right now with the Intuit Dome in L.A. where Steve Ballmer can just buy the property in Inglewood and put his own stadium down for the Clippers. There's not many people who can do that, and he's one of them that can. Yeah. That would have been the best deal ever for the city of Nashville if Amy Adams Strunk and the ownership group had said, you know what, we got it. We'll buy all the land. We'll put our own stadium down with our own money. We're going to reap all the benefits, and we're going to do this. That's not reality uh, with this ownership group. So they got a bigger piece of the public pie to put into that land. But in, also, Hutton, you're right. It's going to benefit the public more because of that because there's going to be some bit of shared ownership in terms of all the events and money that can come into the well, city. Well, the city gets everything outside of that dome, and they get to rebuild everything on the other side of the river for those that have visited Music City. The team gets everything inside of that dome, and that's the split. It's the way I understood it uh, in just a bare-bones case here. There are details within that for taxes and other things. But if you're bringing events year-round instead of just hosting 10 football games a year and the occasional college football bowl game. And now you can be a part of a college football playoff. You can be a part of a, a Super Bowl. You could host a WrestleMania. I mean, the list goes on and on here uh, that, you know, other companies and other, other sports are looking for the ability to play year round. And now you can host that. You can yeah, host any concert you want to now. It's one of those that it's not always with these deals about what's fair. This is not fair. I mean, it's tilted in the direction of the NFL ownership group and the family. Always. But it's what's right for the city. Yes. So yep. that that's where I ultimately you don't fall want to be St. Louis. Yeah. I mean, if you know if someone wants to petition against this and talk about how the super wealthy billionaires are getting all the breaks and this is another case of that. I can't argue against no, that. They are. They, they are getting all the breaks, and they're getting the benefit, and it's not fair. But again, it leads to what's right for the region and for the city and building a stadium like this. So I guess all's well that ends well, in my opinion, because what needed to happen happened in the end, even if it's unfair and tilted towards one group. Coming up, John McClain will join us. We will ask him, C.J. Stroud at number two overall. 
after a couple of weeks where it did not appear C.J. Stroud was going to be the pick, how did he become the pick? That's next on Hot Mike. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Chad, I was here at 6th and Peabody last week for the NFL Draft. And I'm, we'll bring in John McClain for this. Welcome back. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. John McClain, gallerysports.com. John, we knew uh, Bryce Young was going to be the first pick to the Carolina Panthers. And Houston went on the clock. And when Goodell announced here with the packed crowd that C.J. Stroud was pick number two, there was a gasp. No one was expecting it. Because everyone had been conditioned that the Texans were not going to select the Ohio State quarterback. Not that they weren't going to take a quarterback, just not C.J. Stroud. What changed, John? Why did they end up going with the Buckeye? Nothing changed. They let the media talk them into it. I fell victim to that. I had them going with Texas Tech defensive end Tyree Wilson. But they wanted C.J. Stroud all along. Only four people knew it. The owners, Hannah and Cal McNair, general manager, Nick Casario, coach, D'Amico Ryan's. They didn't tell anybody else. That's who they were going to take all along. And uh, people have a hard time believing it, but that just goes to show how we shouldn't believe and hear about, we shouldn't believe everything we read and hear about 99% of the time in the month leading up to the draft. Do you think the cognitive scores and all that was leaked through another team hoping that they would pass on him so that they would fall? Could have been. The Texans, Nick Osario, the GM, told us a couple of weeks before the draft in his pre-draft news conference that they didn't even subscribe. Only 15 teams out of 32 have, subscri- have subscribed to that. Okay. And uh, he said it didn't matter to him. He said every piece of information you get is just part of the – evaluation process obviously it didn't bother them he had all kind of tests with them he spent a day here at nrg stadium among the 30 visits so they felt confident he was going to be their guy they need to franchise quarterback and i think it's tremendous that the texans titans and colts all took quarterbacks in the first or second round and we'll watch and see how they develop and who does the best job of coaching them and surrounding them with talent. And the Texans continue to get talent at pick number three. We came on the next day. I I don't blame Houston for giving up what they did to move up and get Will Anderson. If you love the player on defense, you're bringing in a new regime from a coaching staff perspective, and you have the draft capital, which they do, to make a move. At some point, you need to use those picks or use them to move up and draft a player that you feel like is a franchise player on the other side of the ball, I have no issue with it, despite what some are saying and the cost it took to move up and draft Anderson. And those people are nitwits because I haven't seen one place, haven't seen it written, broadcast, or televised that the Texans still have nine picks next year, including picks in the first, second, and third round. And they got a fourth rounder this year. It just comes out 
They to get the second pick, they gave up the 33rd pick this year and first and third round picks next year. They don't point out any of that other stuff because it goes against their agenda of trying to act like it was a lopsided trade. If they gave up their first and third round picks next year and they didn't have any other, I think they still would have done it because Will Anderson, a lot of people had him as the best prospect in the draft, not just the best edge rusher or the best defensive player because we've all seen him star for three years. But they're still loaded with draft choices. And as you mentioned, Jonathan, that's what you do when you stockpile picks and when you have the luxury of three, uh, two first-round picks three years in a row, thanks to the Deshaun Watson trade with the Browns. John, do you feel like it was pretty common knowledge the Titans were trying hard to trade up to number three because they badly wanted C.J. Stroud? This was during the time where people thought the Texans may pass on them. And when you see that something is that widely reported, do you feel like it's a leak problem with the organization that's trying to trade up? Or was it simply maybe the Arizona Cardinals telling everyone that the Titans badly wanted to move up and trade with them in that spot? It could have been. I'll tell you something else. The Texans have done a great job of keeping things quiet since Nick Casario got there. He does not talk to the national media, and it drives them crazy especially two of them are used to breaking stories. and uh, But the night before the draft, Daniel Jeremiah, the NFL Network, who does a great job, he had his last mock draft. And he had the third pick traded from Arizona to Houston, and Houston was going to take Will Anderson. And I thought, no way they're going to be able to do that. So I told the Texans, I said, next time I see Daniel Jeremiah have something on the Texans or the Cardinals, I'm going to believe it because somebody obviously leaked that to him because he didn't drain it up. And he wouldn't have made that prediction if it hadn't come from one of the two teams from people that knew. He didn't have the terms. He just had the trade. And I think they knew they were going to make that trade. But the reason it went to a minute left is because they had to get the, the, the final details worked out. They had the parameters of the trade. So it was a great move by Daniel Jeremiah, I'm sure the Titans were unhappy. You know, Mike Vrabel, uh, he played Ohio State, coached at Ohio State. He knows Ryan Day, the head coach, really well. So he would have gotten a lot of good insight into C.J. Stroud. So, um, But I know uh, Will Levis is a second-round pick. I think he was picked in a good spot. Yeah, and when you look at the other two quarterback picks in this division, John, with Anthony Richardson at four, and then Will Levis going to the Titans. Just what's your initial thought about the situation both those guys now find themselves in? Very different spots in terms of expectation in year one. What do you think about the landing spot for both Levis with the Titans and Richardson with the Colts? Well, first of all, I'll tell you about the Texans. They won't, you know, they say everybody's got to earn their spot on the team. Uh, yeah, Nick Casario told us that. So, of course, C.J. Stroud's going to start the first game. He better. And then they're talking about Anthony Richardson starting right away. Now, sometimes when you start people right away, and one of the greatest examples was Heath Shuler from Tennessee, went to Washington, started right away, was not ready to, and he just destroyed his confidence. You've got to be careful of that. But they and they're the Colts are not saying they're going to start him. That's all the people nationally saying they should. Shane Steichen's a great developer of quarterbacks, did a tremendous job 
with Jalen Hurst, but you always run the risk. If you put somebody else in early, and they really struggle, you can hurt their confidence, and you don't want to do that because then you make them tentative. And I, I've told people here, and I'm guessing I'm right, Ryan Tannehill, he's coming back. You know, he's going to start. He'd have to get hurt or played really bad. Or when they get over, say, the second, the last eight or nine games, and they're not, I think, I don't have any idea if they're going to be in a race at this point. But then they might want to see what he can do. And this is certainly an indictment of Malik Willis. So I'm guessing we'll see Levis last, and it'll be somewhere over the last eight or nine games. John McClain with us. You can read his great work and podcasts and other things at gallerysports.com. John, so in the overview of the first round, two running backs in the top 12. How surprised were you at that? I actually got the in my last mock draft, my official mock draft. I got I blew the Texans pick, but I got the Falcons. Bijan Robinson seemed ideal to go to Arthur Smith because he watched the development of Derrick Henry and how much he meant to that franchise. And Bijan Robinson, he's not as big. He's only uh, 5'11 and 216, but he is as good a receiver as I've ever seen for a guy who can run like he can. He can make catches all over the field. Like everybody else, I was stunned when the Lions took Jameer Gibbs when they did. But it made sense when they traded DeAndre Swift, who was going to the last year's contract, and they obviously didn't want to pay him, trade him to Philadelphia for basically a song and a prayer. And so now Gibbs will get to play a lot. It's interesting to me, Gibbs had eight touchdowns as a runner-receiver. Uh, uh, who's the back that left in free agency that scored 17? Jamal Williams? Yes. He went to New Orleans. He had 17 touchdowns. So they have they have let go guys that combined for 25 touchdowns. That's a lot of points. So Gibbs is going to get a lot of chances to run and to catch, and he's outstanding too. So I think that offense, which is already one of the best and highest scoring, is going to be just as good, if not better. And then the Falcons, you know, they may never throw the ball with Desmond Renner, who's also a good runner himself. So maybe they're going to throw like five times a game since they have Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier. And everybody says Bijan is the favorite for NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, and I'd certainly buy into that. John, the receivers went 20 through 23, and I can't help but look at what Seattle did and think Geno Smith might be the happiest quarterback coming out of the draft, given the fact he has DK Metcalf and they already have Lockett, and now they've added Jackson Smith and Jigba. Seattle is is one of the teams that many believe had a great draft. Are you on board with that? Last year, they had one of the greatest drafts in NFL history. This year, they had another really good one. And now, they didn't need Smith and the Jigba because they already had the other two wide receivers and in the trade for Russell Wilson. Remember, they got tied in Noah Fant. He'd been a number one pick, too. So they already had three weapons for Geno Smith. Now they got four. And they also had Kenneth Walker, the running back who played so well. They had two starters in their offensive line who were rookies. So they have been, they are loaded at the skill position player, skill positions, and they tried to work on their defense. So I, I remember when I was in Vegas and we were there for the first two rounds of the NCAA basketball tournament. And I told my wife, Carol, let's take a couple of odds, big odds. One of them commanders were 80 to one. 
Seahawks at the time were 60 to one and she's from Washington. So she put, I don't know, I think a hundred bucks on the commanders. And then I think she put a hundred on the Seahawks. And if I had to pick a dark horse team for the Super Bowl based on what they did last year it, that I wanted some odds, Seattle might be it. John, what do you think of Mr. New York, Aaron Rodgers, all around town, hockey games, NBA games at Madison Square Garden? Seems like a new and refreshed guy now that he's out of Green Bay and with the Jets. It's it's weird because he was there 18 years. And he feel, I guess he feels like he died and went to heaven when he's about to turn 40. He's doing everything right. Man about town. Next thing we know, he'll be dating, escorting some celebrity or actress <laughs> or a race car driver or somebody around New York. And he stayed there for the uh, start of the offseason program, which he should have. He needs to show them he's all in. He makes so much money, and they want him to be happy enough to stay a second year, maybe a third year. I think there are people are really fired up. There's people going to pick them to go to the Super Bowl, even though Rodgers is 7-8 and eight in the playoffs since his last only appearance in the Super Bowl, which they won in 2010. But I think it's going to be really hard to get past Buffalo because the Bills – are loaded and they are hungry. Yes, and John, I uh, I saw a headline. You mentioned the Jets. Everyone's got Super Bowl aspirations for them. Uh, a headline yesterday about who's going to beat the Eagles based on what they've done. And I, I, at first, I kind of smirked and laughed. I'm like, well, their division's tough. And then I thought, well, they're in the NFC. So if I'm looking at the, I'm also thinking, like, yeah, who's going to beat the Eagles? I mean, they, they're, I'm, you put them in pin. I'm expecting them back if they stay healthy at quarterback. Uh, there's no reason why. They shouldn't load right back up and be right back where they were based on how they've built this roster and what Howie Roseman has done the last couple of drafts as well. Everybody's going crazy over their draft. Jalen Carter was passed over by two teams that could have used a defensive lineman like him like crazy, Seattle and Detroit. Uh, He could have gone to the Bears before they traded. And uh, the Bears, uh, uh, Bears have passed him up. And so some teams didn't like him because of his off-the-field issues, the fact that he had a bad pro day, got out of shape, he got overweight, the fact he doesn't put out all the time, and because he is a one-year starter at Georgia. Now, Jordan Davis last year, he was a number one pick. He didn't start because they got a lot of talent up front, and they're in a rotation. Then they get Noah Smith, and they're going to have to rotate those guys a lot. But I want to see him on the field because uh, the odds are – they ain't going back to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl losers never go back to the Super Bowl except New England. It's been a long time. Uh, so I don't know why that is. You'd think they'd be the hungriest team in football if you lose the Super Bowl. But uh, the fact it is the NFC, Cowboys were, what, 12-5 and five last year? Back-to-back Cowboys years. Should be, yep. the, the, the Giants uh, were a surprise team, but they could be better. They felt blown up. It's amazing. The NFC East. We all, it was terrible two years ago. We thought it was going to be bad last year, and it became one of the two best uh, divisions in the NFL. It's going to be fun to watch them, just like it used to be when all of them were good. Joe Gibbs and Bill Parcells and Tom Landry were there in the 80s, so I can't wait to see how it plays out. But when it comes to stacking your roster, the Eagles have been very smart about it. They still, you know, is DeAndre Swift going to do for them what he couldn't do at Detroit, which is be a dynamic running back. They let Miles Sanders go in free agency because he got a really, really 
good deal from the Panthers. But Swift's got some big shoes to fill. Step it in there for him, along with those other two backs they have. They still have depth, and they they got a lot of talent at wide receiver. And uh, I I can't wait to see them play. I, I just want them to beat the Cowboys. John, you got the Rams all the way up in the fourth round, taking Stetson Bennett, quarterback out of Georgia. You've got the Packers taking Sean Clifford from Penn State in the fifth round. Meanwhile, your wife Carol's favorite team, the Washington Commanders, they're just sitting back saying, we're good. Quarterback position, not that important. We're not going to take one. We don't need one. We believe in Sam Howell. What is the thinking with Washington right now in terms of quarterback and what their plan is moving forward? Ron Rivera has final say on all personnel. A lot of times it doesn't work out when the head coach has final say. Now, some people are trying to compare Sam Howell with Patrick Mahomes, play one game his rookie year. Well, the fact is the Chiefs were already good. They were in the playoffs every year. And then Patrick Mahomes was the first-round pick. Sam Howell was, what, fifth or sixth, even though he had had a really good year his, his next to last year at North Carolina. But, you know, maybe they know something. This time last year, I thought the Seahawks, were absolutely nuts thinking Geno Smith could do squat and turned out Pete Carroll and John Schneider knew what they're talking about. Maybe Ron Rivera does, but man, they they just, I think, I wonder if they were even tempted to take a quarterback because if Hal can't cut it or he gets hurt, you know, it's what, Jacoby Brissett? Maybe they're hoping next year to be able to get Caleb Williams or Drake May. Problem is, they aren't going to be that bad. They'll be bad. They'll be bad but not bad enough without to get one of them unless they trade way up, and that's going to cost a lot of money. John, and final, a lot, I mean, a lot of draft choices. Yes. Uh, John, final thing for you. Lamar Jackson gets his deal done at the end of last week uh, after you had joined us. What, what do you make of the contract? And, and also, if he's healthy, what do you expect from Lamar Jackson in Baltimore in the AFC race? They gave him Odell Beckham Jr. They drafted his flowers, did everything they could to help him out. And um, he ought to be really fired up. He's going to be healthy. You know, they said once he saw Jalen Hurts' contract, he realized he wasn't going to get a fully guaranteed deal like uh, Sean Watson had gotten. So we knew he, we, we knew he was going to play there. He wasn't going to retire. He, I thought he'd be there on the franchise tag, make 32 million. He did the wise thing. What did he get? Like 187 million guaranteed. I'm pretty sure he's yep. going to be able to live on that. He didn't let his ego get in the way. The union had been telling him hold out for a fully guaranteed contract because that would have been what's best for the union, but that wouldn't have been what's best for Lamar Jackson. And for him is great. And he, when he he's 26, he'll be 27 after the season. So with a year left on his contract, when they usually do extensions, he'll still be 29 years old. No telling what that's going to look like at that time. Yep. You're right. John McClain, you can check him out at gallerysports.com. John, thank you as always. We love the conversation, and uh, you're right. The AFC South battle with the young QBs is going to be fascinating to watch play out. Can't wait. It's the first time I've been fired up about a rookie minicamp. <laughs> Jonathan Chadillac, thank you guys very much as always. Yeah, Thanks, here. John. Follow John on social at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Coming up, the Big Ten and conference expansion. When will we see it again within the Big Ten? And if the reports are correct, they're waiting on the demise, the free fall, the collapse of the Pac-12. We've discussed next on Hot Mike.
Coming up, the Florida Panthers are trying to keep Canadians out of their arena. <laughs> Details straight ahead for good reason. Uh, hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow Blame rolls Canada. on. Yeah, Kurt Schilling joins us in roughly 30 minutes from now as well. Looking forward to that. You can catch the Kurt Schilling Baseball Show and more at OutKick through the YouTube channel, also at OutKick.com. Chad, would you bet on the Big 12 or the Big 10 adding teams from the Pac-12 first? I think out of just sheer hunger... I would bet on the Big 12. The Big 10 doesn't need it yet. But I think this scenario where they could acquire a depreciating asset because they're involved with something that's going yeah. downhill would make a ton of sense for the Big 10. The Big 12 will be thirstier to add one of these Pac-12 schools in the Big 10, but the Big 10 could do it in a smart way, and it would be the better play for those Pac-12 schools to go to the Big 10 over the Big 12. So there's a report that states, uh, and it's Jim Williams who we had on the show, um, saying that, hey, that rumors are swirling that Washington and Oregon are going to the Big Ten, but they're waiting on the Big Ten, waiting on the, the full collapse of the conference before that happens. What but a just devastating report to read if you're in the Pac-12 right now. Yeah, They're just going to wait back until the whole thing collapses. Then they're going to take your two best remaining assets. They're going to wait until then, though. And uh, Jim Williams also said that the Big Ten's waiting to see if Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State move to the Big 12. That would really signal the collapse. There's also a report today that the Pac-12's answer to all this is adding Tulane out yeah. of New Orleans. And I'm thinking, what? Well, what, what, what happens is like when the Sun Belt, when, when, when Conference USA added some teams from the Sun Belt years ago, those teams in the Conference USA, like Memphis and others, moved to the AAC. Yeah, And then the Sun Belt teams moved into Conference USA, and Conference USA just basically became the Sun Belt. Yeah, and then if right? you're good enough in Conference USA, maybe you'll go up to the AAC. Right. And you get but the, now you the, get the AAC call up. is getting the call up to the Big 12 and maybe the Pac-12. But if you're... If you're but, that, but my point is, that's all this crumbling ground around you, the foundation going down. Your response to that being, we'll add Tulane, isn't going to do much. But I, the Big Ten and the SEC don't wait around on other conferences to make up their mind, right? But Not Jim, if they really want something. Exactly. And Jim Williams, through a tweet he's putting out, is saying, hey, they're going to wait to see what the four schools that the Big 12 is looking to, to acquire do to see how things play out. And if the Pac-12 is together, we can reconsider our timeline for expansion. Um, that, that's through sources for him, through the Big Ten. But, I mean, that's... That's, that's fair, but in the world of conference expansion, especially at the very top, Big Ten and SEC, they don't deal in fairness for the other conferences. Well, the new, commissioner, each other. the new commissioner coming into the Big Ten, I don't know why one of the first courses of action for him wouldn't be, let's go ahead and add our West Coast wing with Oregon and Washington. Why wouldn't you just seek that out? I, I think, I mean, it's smart to go ahead and get it if things crumble, but if you want to be proactive like you're talking about in the SEC and the Big Ten, they swing the biggest stick out there. Mm -hmm. Though They can be proactive and take what they want in the college sports landscape. If I'm the new commissioner of the Big Ten and I'm wanting to make a statement, go add those two teams right now. They both offer value, and you could further solidify your foothold on a West Coast, basically division of the Big Ten with USC, UCLA down south on the West Coast and Washington, Oregon up north 
Well, I don't know why you wouldn't do it. Is it because they don't want to be the the reason in history for the red wedding of the Pac-12? Maybe. If they, if they pulled Oregon and Washington now, it's over. But if you sit and wait on the Big 12, it's the Big 12. They, they're not a threat to, as far as the rights agreements, right? They're not a threat to you if you're the Big 10. And then you just poach the two programs you wanted anyway. Well, maybe, but it did not stop them from starting the Red Wedding with UCLA and USC. And they knew what was going to happen when that went down. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the moment that move was reported, we all said this is the beginning of the end for the Pac-12. So go ahead and finish but, them off. But we didn't Don't we say show that? mercy now if you're the if you're the big team. And, and it, it, it could still be the end. I get where the the, the, the you could put the the whatever category stipulation on the shelf you want. But we said the same thing about the Big 12 whenever Texas and Oklahoma was announced that they were leaving for the SEC. Yeah, and then they, a year later, they it had was a good fallback plan. They did. And the Pac 12 doesn't, it doesn't seem like. Tulane is the answer. But first, they need a rights agreement for TV. Coming up, speaking of uh, rights agreements and TV, we've got details and also with the NHL, some scheduling issues.